Hello, and welcome to Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray. As the founder of the Bra Network, the Business Relationship Alliance, I have met some of the most inspiring women working as entrepreneurs, freelancers, founders, executives, and creatives, and I want to share their stories with you. So let's get carried away. Ooh, we're talking about money today, my favorite topic, but specifically sales. I mean, how do we sell to our ideal clients? with creative flow and pizzazz that feels really aligned with who we are authentically and not icky and gross like we're shoving things into their mouth and saying, buy for me, buy for me, buy for me. Join me as I get carried away with Paige Ray of Paige Ray Creative when we talk about all things selling, selling, selling. Anyone who's listening to this recording knows I record this podcast live on Instagram and in Facebook. So you might from time to time hear us talk to our audience or identify any creepers that are somehow creeping into my IG live and want to date Paige. So be prepared. (laughs) (laughs) All kinds of things happen. (laughs) But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. I just want to start by telling you, you were one of the first people that told me that any woman can wear red lipstick. Boom. Yay. Good. Cause it's true. It's yeah. True. And it always has stuck with me. Yay. Could and should. It is a power move. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give us who you are, who, where are you from? How you doing? All the things, all Paige Ray. I'm Paige Ray. I am a creative catalyst for avant-garde entrepreneurs, basically women who are doing something different in their industry, something radical, something cool, trying to change things around. I am helping them do it in a way that helps them make way more money working with the people that they are dreaming of working with. Love it. Love that. You and I have had a lot of conversations about scale, pricing, sales, uh, not giving shit away for free, which a lot of emerging entrepreneurs and you know, veteran entrepreneurs, we see make that mistake time and time again. Um, I'm curious if you've ever seen it with a group of men who are just like, I'm going to start giving everything away for free. We're in a COVID. We're in a pandemic. What do I do? <laughs> I see it with men often. And I, and, and what I, I've seen it with men that are newer to the industry and don't know what to charge, but once they get the hang of it, they don't have as much of a problem doing it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's true. So tell me, um, our whole theme today is how to sell to your ideal client with creative flow that feels aligned and not yucky. Mm-hmm. So why do you think creatives struggle with sales? Why do you think they go in thinking it's yucky and icky? Well, sales is, we all have this kind of like idea in our head that sales is something that's very like Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, slip back the hair, bring a briefcase, sit down and negotiate, go play a game of golf, like something very traditional like that. And that feels like pretty icky. That's from more of a, a traditional marketing sense of like uh, push marketing, which is very pushy. And, and it feels like it doesn't feel good. It feels like you're being sold to just to be sold to versus what we've started seeing more of an emergence of and a lot more creatives being drawn toward that because with pull marketing, you're not pushing anything on anybody. You're pulling people into your whole process and attracting them so that it's not a matter of like, okay, buy what I have, buy what I have. It's people see like, I love what you do. And I want to get, I want to be part of it. Like, let me be part of it. And I think that creatives tend to be so used to that like traditional form of sales or thought around sales that just the the creatives in general are so heart-centered that we're just like no if it doesn't feel good in my body if it doesn't feel like aligned with my mission like if it doesn't flow with the people that I want it to flow then it's not for me so kind of on a mission to reframe the idea of like what even is sales for creatives yeah and you know, way back in the day, in the Renaissance, even beyond, you know, artists, painters, sculptors didn't make any money until they died. So um, clearly they didn't have a sales strategy um, in place. So, but you're right. I think um, you were talking about pool marketing and magnetism and what, what you seek is seeking you. And, and I think that's really, really important, especially because I, I know for myself, it's almost very personal when you're selling to someone, you're kind of creating this relationship and you're like, we're going to be dating for a while. Like, it's not just like 
here you go. Here's my uh, water bottle that you're buying from my, you know, pop-up shop at the farmer's market. Instead, you're buying something that you're really investing in and to hone in down, hone that down to what it is you're actually selling really has to come from identifying your ideal client. Like, you know what you want to sell. You have the creative juices and you're like, I got this, I got this, but I don't know who to sell it to. And I think that what stops a lot of creatives is identifying that ideal client. Now in your process of, when I met you, you were a wedding photographer and it was, um, a very different, you know, elevator pitch. You were so passionate about, you know, you would go to photo shoots at five in the morning. I was like, what is this for, for um, engagement photos? But you were very passionate about, but even then you knew exactly who your ideal client was. I don't know if you remember that elevator pitch. Do you remember? What was it? Um, for It was something around wild and free. Something yes, around like wild free. hearts or. Wild hearts and fearless love or love? something. Something, it was something amazing. <laughs> but you knew then who you wanted to photograph for their engagement photos and everything. So through all of this, you know, evolution of you as now Paige Rave Creative, why do you think creatives struggle with identifying their ideal client? Well, I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, what, what, what worth am I bringing into the world? Because that's so part of the creation that we're, that we're, we're kind of like birthed artists and as creatives, we're deciding, you know, what is that worth to us? What is that worth to other people? And especially when you're starting out, the first thought is, is like, well, I need this to matter to like everybody, you know, I need to make money and I need to, bill, so I need this to matter to everybody so that everybody will buy it and I can, you know, pay my water bill. Um, and that's the first thought. And so I think, I think a little bit of it comes from like panic and worry that like, if you narrow that down, that you're excluding people and that you'll miss out on sales when it's actually the exact opposite. That's true. If you're trying to serve everybody, if you're trying to talk to everybody, then you're really talking to nobody, or at least you're coming off mediocre to everybody when you could be coming off as like an awesome expert to just a few people who will pay you those like higher prices. I love that. I love that. And I know currently um, I've been, hi, Hillary. Look, Hillary's here. <laughs> um, currently you've been featuring in your feed ideal client alerts. I'm waiting for mine, but that's okay. I know you have time. Um, <laughs> but I thought that was very clever in the fact that you are saying, here is my ideal client and here is why. Um, how many times do you think in your career or leading up to this, did you struggle with identifying that ideal client? Just um, you know, it's funny. I always had a very clear picture of um, like who I could connect with. For me, it was always about who can I connect with and the people who weren't for me. I, I, if I ever tried to be for them, if I ever tried to like, oh, I'll just, you know, sell it like this or sell it like that or try to be kind of artist, it never worked out. It would always went bad. And I always felt like, ugh, like icky and stuff. So I always, I always had a very strong inner compass directing me back exactly to who I needed to be working with. And once it started to click and things started to flow with like the ideal clients, especially in my brand photography business, then I could understand the power of like getting very extremely niched with it, but also trusting that and going built into something. And Carrie, I do want to feature you in an ideal client alert. We have photos that we need to share with the world. And I didn't, I know we need to figure that out. We're working on that. There, there's some things happening with those photos. So um, in fact, it was Crystal Lily who uh, connected me with someone who's going to really uh, seal the deal with our fabulous secret project that we've been working on for over a year now. So I finally caught rid of that imposter syndrome and I'm ready to launch it. I'm excited. I'm excited. Because um, imposter syndrome plays such a big role in identifying who we want to work with as ideal clients. Because a lot of the time we know who we want to work with, but it's our imposter syndrome that tells us like, no, you're not good enough to work with them. Go for a, you know, a broader spread um, so you can get clients. But it's, that's actually a really good point. That imposter syndrome will like hold us back from identifying ideal clients. And I think it also holds us back from raising our prices. Um, and really scaling um, to profitability. Like we feel like nobody's gonna pay this. And I'm sure as photographers, there's such discrepancy between what one photographer will charge and what another was. But in my, what I've seen, I can see the difference in cost. When I say, oh, this one is $8,000 and this one is $800. Well, this, this is the discrepancy because you can tell the quality of product. Um, so it's interesting that 
a lot of creatives struggle with imposter syndrome, especially when it comes to selling and especially when it comes to sales. And something I really learned recently that really kind of stuck with me is that women typically will talk their clients out of the cell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll present something and they'll be like, oh, you don't have to pay that much. <laughs> Exactly. And, and this is the part that I tell like all of my mentees to rehearse in the mirror, because when you talk about price with people, you have to say your number and then you have to stop talking. And it's the most uncomfortable you will ever be. But after if you keep talking after that, you'll just talk yourself out of a sale. That's all that is. Because what's happening is your insecurity is betraying your confidence. And people can tell once you keep talking after you say that big number that like, oh, she doesn't, she's, she's talking around it. She's justifying it. She doesn't really believe in it. Um, and then we, and then we get hit with that silence a little bit and we're like panicking again. And we're like, oh, but you know, I'm, you just maybe half price for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> yeah. ladies, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Um, and I know a lot of um, creative struggle with sales because they haven't really taken the time to identify who that ideal client is. You know, when you're first starting out, you're like, I'll shoot bat mitzvahs. I'll shoot your wedding. I'll shoot your, the cake smash cake for your first birthday party for your kid. Um, but you have, you've created something, um, your ideal client roadmap that's free. Um, so tell, tell us about that. That kind of takes people through identifying that ideal client. So they're not just throwing spaghetti against the wall. Like, Sure, I'll shoot anything, whatever. Um, absolutely. So the so the ideal client is free right now, and it's actually not going to be around forever because it's got such really good um, templates in there that I usually save for my paying clients and my mentees that I'm going to be offering it as a freebie for a little bit. So when it comes to identifying that um, ideal client, you do have to when it, in offering everything under the sun becomes problematic for your sales. So. Um, when you're identifying the people that you want to work with, um, it's important to know first about them and what they need. Um, and not about, let me offer them everything. Because the problem with offering them everything, so for example, as a photographer, if you're out there and you're saying, oh, hey, I do brand photos and lifestyle and family and weddings and editorial, and I'm interested in getting into headshots, so let me know if you want to do that. Right? It's overwhelming. And also, nobody knows what you're an expert at. Expert at. So maybe they'll book you for something that's really low price because they feel like you're maybe semi-good at everything. But if you want to book you at higher prices, they have to know what you're an expert at and what makes you worth that higher price. So offering everything gets too confusing and overwhelming to people. So you have to kind of narrow down what is. And that way, you speak to the ideal client that you want to be working with. Does that answer your question? Did I get Absolutely, it answers. Yeah, no, not at all. I think you're right in the fact that you see, I'm sure among your mentees, and I see it as well within the bra network, creatives um, who struggle with selling, you know, uh, the members in bra that are lawyers, architects, accountants, they don't have any problem with it. Their creativity is expressed in a different way. But you know, the photographers, the artists, the jewelry makers, the artisans, the bakers, yeah. they really struggle with just selling. Um, and w what do you think, you know, stops them or doesn't push them? Is it, do they stay in that creative mindset too long that they can't switch to the business entrepreneur side of things? That's a really good question. I comes from, you know, at least in as my in my experience as a photographer, I really let other people dictate my worth to me. So when people would tell me, oh, you're too expensive, or I'm not ready for this right now, or on and on, I would believe them. And I let that inform what I thought about my own worth as an artist and as a creative. And it wasn't until I turned that around and said, no, wait a second, I provide something really unique and really strong for my client, and I believe in it. The people who tell me I'm too expensive, that's actually something that's going on with them and has nothing to do with me. So it was getting much more confident in my work as I did it, which required me to, I learned, the confidence really came from like being willing to learning, learn so many different things. So it wasn't that I tried different types of photography, I did early on, but I was willing to assist people and learn different ways of shooting. I was willing to learn lighting and take classes. Um, so I tried to be as comprehensive with like 
as I could so that my expertise was really clear in my work and that anybody that came with me at me with these objections, I could choose not to believe them. I could choose to believe, no, I'm a really strong artist. I am a good artist and I am worthy of what I am charging. And that's a really hard place to get to because especially when it comes to professions that are like doctors and lawyers and accountants, that is a pretty clear cut skill that like if I sit down and I look at my taxes or I need a lawyer or I need a doctor, I, I in no way think that I can even do any of that. Like, that's why I have an accountant. That's why I have a lawyer, right? I'm not thinking to myself like, oh, I could probably do that. But I do think a lot of people out there look at photographers or look at bakers and go, I could probably do that with my cell phone or I could probably make that in my kitchen and they might not do it as well, but it's that element of feeling like, no, I, I could do this, so I can't justify paying the money for it, um, that brings up so much of like, oh, this isn't worth the money for me. And so then it falls on the creative to really demonstrate like, no, this actually is worth the money. I am a professional and I can do things um, that are worth hiring and paying money for. That's a hard mindset to get into as a creative because then you have to overcome all of the like artist pitfalls of like, well, you're an art, your art comes from a vulnerable place and you're supposed to question that and you're supposed to like dive in deep to the scary part of it to create something that's really interesting and engaging. So without that, our art wouldn't be so good, but it's also kind of the thing that holds us back a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want you to now go back in time mm -hmm. to that first time you were putting that proposal together and you're like, okay, I've, I've raised my prices. I'm going to, here's my pitch. I've cultivated this relationship with this client and you gave it to them and they said, yes. How did you feel after that? <laughs> I swear I did a happy dance. Um, probably pop champagne. The first time I ever booked a package at a full rate that I felt really good about, um, I probably, I probably popped champagne. <laughs> so exciting. And I'm right. sure compared to when you were first starting out, you to see that huge, leap in not only charging what you're worth obviously but yeah. like it felt good right and then I'm sure I would hope you never went back you never lowered from there I didn't and that's one of the things that really helped me build a profitable business is once I went into brand photography I decided no more discounts no more trades no more work for exposure I'm going to set my prices I'm not going to budge for them from them and and that's just the way it is anybody who can't do it can't do it and I'm just gonna have to let that be and let go of the people who aren't meant for me and that was so hard because for like eight months afterward I, I lost way more business to my pricing than I gained from it <laughs> I questioned it a lot but after about eight months I had my first five-figure month, and then start, things started picking up more and more and more and more. So it all really builds on each other. Um, but it will never start building if you just keep undercutting yourself and keep offering a discount and, and things like that. Do you think that's what, um, like, the uh, unfortunate mistake that creatives make, even during a time of, like, pandemic and everything, is discounting their discounted discounted stuff? Yeah, and I think that that is, it's like a double-edged sword during the pandemic because you do have to pay bills. And especially for photographers right now, it doesn't really feel safe to be doing, you know, photography, at least not for me. I, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Um, but um, so you do have to pay bills. Like there are realities in front of you and they're hard to deal with and hard to figure out. But at the same time, if you offer a discount, it's something that could sabotage you down the road once we're back in a more normal space, whatever that's going to look like, um, to offer discounts. Like for example, um, like if I were to offer a discount during pandemic, my feeling is that people I'm, my whole thing is like, no price for profit, sell your worth. And then if I suddenly get up here and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to this one time, not worth. I feel like that does a lot of damage to the message that I'm sending out. And I want people to really understand that it's possible. So it's such a double-edged sword right now. And that part is really hard to balance. So I actually, that's why I haven't, I haven't really, when it comes to advice, I haven't necessarily told people don't offer a discount. It's more like, what is it that's going to work for you? What's going to move forward? Like, let's look at your bigger picture, but also you've got rent to pay and times are scary. So let's figure it out in a way that actually works for you. And I think that's really the best anybody can do at this time. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, if it's also a great time to learn and to educate yourself. So oh, yeah. then when, 
you know, when things do return to as normal as they're going to be, and who knows when that's going to be, you can come out of it educated and inspired, right? Exactly. Um, I think what led you to kind of launch your online course, you know, the creative flow sales method, which I'm, I want to talk more about later in a few minutes, um, probably all of these things leading up to all of these kind of milestones in your career kind of led to you building this course. Um, and what do you think in this process? Did you f see anyone who was crushing it? That was like, like they were an inspiration to you. That was just like their sales flow or their, I'm in their funnel and I want to buy everything from them. <laughs> who do you, who do you kind of like are, are in inspires you or just kind of like, or is doing it really well? Well, oh my gosh. So there's so many, oh my gosh. Okay. So how, how do I even narrow it down? I, you know, back when I, before I really set my prices, stuck to them and grew a business that was successful, I, I looked at almost everybody that looked like they were killing it. And I was just like, how is, what is, what's everybody doing that I'm not doing? Like, I felt so confused and lost. And like, it really, every single day, it was like a little bit more of a struggle because I let myself get lost in that a little bit. Um, and then I started to understand that like, once you, once you build a successful business, it just comes with a whole new level of problems that you have to sort out. So everybody on the back end, it really is uh, having some sort of struggle. Um, and that's okay. And so I stopped worrying so much about like, idolizing other people and and for myself balancing whatever I saw that was awesome with like okay I'm sure there's also something that like they are figuring out on their back end um a hundred percent nobody's right? got it all figured out nobody has it all figured out and I love the people who are vulnerable enough to share like the shit gets this stuff gets really hard and and um, we've got to work our way through it. I've been going live in my Facebook group today, my Facebook live topic. I've been doing like an 18 days to launch series, taking people behind building a course. And today my topic is everything that went wrong with building this course. Because um, I think that's important. And last year I used, last week I, I did a, a promotion, a whole promotion with a graphic with a major misspelled word right in the middle of it. Um, and I left it up there because I was like, this could be a great lesson. Like this will not end all of the things. Um, and people will see that there is no perfect process here. And I yeah. feel like, like at least let people see that. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I mean, I just posted the graphic promoting you with the wrong date on it. So, <laughs> you know, I always say my best proofreading comes after I hit the send button on an email. I'm like, oh yeah, there, that was a misspelling. Let's see. Um, so true. Um, speaking of building an online course, um, I mean, this, we could do an entire episode of Carried Away just about building your online course. What would you, what are three things you learned in the process of building an online course? Tell the people, because I know when I built mine, I was so humbled with, first off, how much work it is, um, modules, which platform. I mean, am I live or what? Three things that people should know before they want to start their online course. Amy Porterfield, it ain't that easy. <laughs> it's so true. Building an online course is learning an entirely new business model. Like, it's nothing. If you have been a one-on-one -on -one, um, service, like if you've been doing one-on-one -on -one services, if you have been doing group programs, if you have, whatever you're doing, if it's selling your time so far, if you are scaling and offering, um, starting to offer a course that's digital, you have to learn a whole new business model. And it feels like you're starting from scratch. And like, I really like, I, and this goes into the second thing that I would, I would tell people, but I spent just to figure out Facebook ads, just to figure out how to do it. It took me six hours and then I had to make the ad. But once I figured it out, like I was able to make it a lot easier, but it takes, you have to learn a whole new world of things. It is not something that you can just dive into and do in a week. Um, and it's okay. Like dedicate that time to it, mess up, like learn new things. And um, I'm just, what I got fortunate with was because I've got so many things out there in terms of learning and listening to different podcasts, everything that I, the information I needed always seemed to come to me at the right time, which was pretty cool. Um, but that's the number one thing. It's a whole new business model and you have to be prepared and willing to learn it and don't get too frustrated because you will get to a point where you're like, I am failing miserably. I should give up. I have, I've been there like three times. Um, the second thing that I would say, um, is, uh, it's, it feels so weird to be on camera and like do this. It feels very self-conscious. And I, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't like to go back and look at the modules, like, but I have to to make sure I'm getting all my notes taken and everything like that. Um, and it's very weird to put yourself in, in front of your business in that kind of way. It's a whole new way. It's no longer just one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's the whole world that you're, you're hoping to be in front of. Oh, yeah. Um, and that feels terrifying. And I would tell people not to be scared of that and not to do it perfectly either, because people are so concerned with how do I do it perfectly, but nobody wants to see anybody being perfect. That's so boring. Um, the whole point of what we're doing, like we're trying to connect with people and you can't connect with somebody who's perfect because nobody's perfect. So you can't identify with that person. Um, so I would say, don't worry about being perfect on camera. Worry about the value that you're bringing to people and the information that you're bringing to people. Let yourself mess up on camera. You don't have to cut all of it out. You know, let construction happen in the background. Like it's going to be fine. Um, and then I would tell people, number three, hire people to do it for you. Like hire somebody to do Facebook ads. 100%. Like that's next time exactly what I'm going to do, even though I figured it out this time and they're converting for me, like I'm going to hire somebody next time, hire someone to do Facebook ads, um, hire somebody, somebody to do video editing, hire somebody to create any, like if you've got workbooks that you've got to build for your course, like hire out as much as you can, because otherwise you are putting yourself through a minimum a hundred hours work, um, on even just a small course. Like mine is a really small course and you know, it's, it's been, it's been a lot. <laughs> I think, I think a hundred hours is being nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I know when, um, I built mine, I, I'm, I had to hire someone to build the landing page and, um, the conversion into drip. And because I, I can't do it. I've tried. I just know my limitations and I can't build a landing page that's going to have pixels in the background and SEO. And then it's going to filter into my drip and which category they're going to, and then trigger all the email funnels, <laughs> the whole thing was daunting, but thank you. Shout out to Michelle who built that for me um, because I was more focused on getting the students like I, and the content and, and creating the curriculum and, building out again, like the workbook, the workbook alone in oh. a PDF, but it has to be a PDF I can write in, which means I can't do it in a PDF. You know, all of those little nuances can really stop somebody cold if when building an online course it's, and then what platform did you end up deciding to do it on? I actually am starting to use a new platform, a newer platform called uh, Kartra, which oh. is, I, yeah, it's not as like well known, but I, and it's got its own back end, like, um, things that get annoying, but I love the look of it. And I think it's a better user experience on the front end, which I would really prefer for the members who are joining anyway. So I'm leaving Kajabi and I'm moving everything over to Kartra. Um, and so far I really like it, especially when it came to the big, the big, um, differentiator for me was also the sales page that I could build out in Kartra was so beautiful. I, and I wanted to do, I spent an entire week writing the sales page. That took a long time because that stuff is really long. Um, but, um, and then I spent another solid days building out the sales page. And, but I love the functionality. Like I was able to put a countdown timer on the sales page and there's all these other, other things that I can do. So I really like Kartra so far. We'll see how Spell it that for us. Spell that for us. A-A-R-T-R-A. Did you get that June? <laughs> <laughs> um, love that. You know, I first built mine on Teachable mm -hmm. and I like Teachable. It what you know, integrated well with Drip. If anybody has their CRM with Drip and everything, uh, integrated well with um, Squarespace, which was hosting my website. Um, so they all played nice together. What I struggled with was um, creating a community on mm. Teachable. Like it had to be someplace else. And I was just like, where is the magic platform that has the email funnels, that has the lead magnet, that has my vit can store all the videos, and I can also go live in it. A am I reaching for the stars here? <laughs> that doesn't cost oh, really? me $500 a month. <laughs> yeah, I like Kartra because it hosts all of my videos. It hosts the entire membership and platform. It does like all of the, you can do all of your email campaigns in it. You can do all of it, it, there's a ton of, I, I like that about it too. Like you can do the sale, you can do a million types of different pages. Like I highly recommend going to look at, look at it. The I'm only using the, like, it's only like a hundred dollars a month at the level I'm at so far. You might like well, it. If it's one course. Yeah. If you're only doing yeah. one course at the beginning, yeah, it, it shouldn't be more for anybody listening out there. Don't get racked into, you're going to do five courses. Just slow down, do one. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's true. And it's just like, you know, you're not being paid while you're building it, right? So you have like these hundreds of hours where you're just, you're being sweat equity and everything. So you're hoping then to price it accordingly that you can at least break even after your first course or then go up to an affiliate. Pro- did you add an affiliate program to it? I did. I did. I added an affiliate Bravo. program. Bravo! I'm excited. This is my first time with an affiliate program. So this is going to be an interesting, like, we'll see how this goes. Um, but I'm really, that's out of all the promotions that I've set up, because I did Facebook ads too. And, um, that, and I'm glad those are converting, but I'm more excited about the affiliates because I really feel like, I love that like p- other people can make money sales course. <laughs> like that makes me happy. I love that too. That's really great. And that's, you know, next level, right? You want people to be out there bragging about the youth. So, I mean, the best business comes from referrals. So I think that's great. And eventually you won't have to do Facebook ads because all your affiliates will be bragging about you. So that's, that's the way to go. Love that. So let's talk about the course. Now that we've talked about how you built the course and things we should avoid. Um, first, what led you to build it? What in your experience said, I need to create there. There's some, there's something missing here. Oh, yeah. I just felt like the starving artist cliche that creatives put themselves through is just like, I just like it was so over. Like, let's not hold ourselves to this weird standard of like the noble artist who doesn't need to make money. They just want to make their art. No, let's get paid, you guys. Like, yeah. God. <laughs> and so I come with you. Right? Let's get paid. Like, I kept seeing um, creatives doing amazing work and almost giving it away for free. And I just felt like, it's not that they didn't feel like their work was worth money, but there were so many conversations, especially in society around what it's like for women to charge money and stand for their worth, like, which is a whole different situation than it is for men. And, you know, what, what are, what are the feelings we have around that? Do we feel shame? Do we feel guilt? Um, and I just kept looking at that and I just felt like, no, we can, we can make money and feel good about it and build our empires and then feel good about that. And it really, with, you know, I, I was divorced like so many years ago, five or six. I don't, time goes so fast. I can't even wrap my brain around it. At the time, you know, I was, I was broke and I was scared because I, I was so new in my business. I had made like $9,000 that whole year and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I, I still wanted to be a photographer. So I, I could either be a photographer, figure out how to run a profitable business, or I could go back to my nine to five, which was journalism, which I loved, but a slightly different industry than what I than I was what I signed up for almost 15 20 years ago in college so oh um, yeah <laughs> pretty different <laughs> with um photography and I had to learn how to build a business and it didn't happen overnight it took at least four or five years before I started to understand how things worked and once I kind of got ahead and I kind of felt like okay I, I built a business I've had success I don't ever want to be in a position again where I feel like I was, where I was broken, scared, and taking any job that came along. And then I had the immediate thought of like, I don't want any woman to feel like that. Like that's the worst thing. And you don't have any, you don't have any power when you're in that situation. I had to make decisions for myself that almost worked against me because I didn't have a choice because I didn't have the money. I didn't control the money. I didn't have any money left over after the divorce. Um, not to speak ill of my ex-husband, very nice person, such a great, like, not speaking ill of him, but I was just in kind of a bad place. Um, and I just felt like, I don't want any woman to ever, ever, ever be in this place that I, that I'm in. So if I can figure out how to get out of it, if I, the, who had the person who had the worst money stories, the most buried by insecurities and worthlessness, the feeling of worthlessness, if I can make my way through that and build a six figure business, I can teach anybody to do this. And I really believe in that. So, um, once I did that, I thought, well, it's pretty automated, the responses that I give around sales, the system that I built that I, that I got success from, and then I taught my mentees to do it, and I saw them start to turn around a lot of success and charge higher prices and feel really good about what they were doing. And I thought, okay, well, then now it's time to turn it into a course so more people can learn from it. So that's kind of the long story of it. Passive income. Passive income. Right? Like, that's the name of the game, creatives. <laughs> is the passive income, right? So we start out newbies and we're, and like you said, you're in this situation where I got to start making money. Um, And we claw and just scrape our way through it. We finally get there and we're succeeding. We're like, oh, now I'm going to raise my prices. 
and then we're up there and now you're educating more peace people and now they're talking about you and you're getting higher ticket sales and everything that's typically when people are like how can i make this passive how can i wake up and see five people who have downloaded my course um i mean that's like you for a long time you sell your time which is very taxing and you're still capped with how much you can really earn when you're selling your time even if you charge a million dollars an hour at the end of the year you've only got so many hours to, to book anyway so you're still capped but if you can figure out how to scale your knowledge then you've got some real magic there and you can turn it into you know unlimited income um so i always think that's super valuable to think about i love that i love and it, it's truly uh, everything you're talking about you know entrepreneurs experience we all feel the you know imposter syndrome we all feel like scared and nervous about raising our prices or just even pricing we all are nervous about launching we all stop ourselves because it's not perfect enough um, when really you're just saying just do the damn thing launch the course raise your prices stop talking once you give your price and make some money like I I'm loving all of this and I hope this is all you people listening out there understand exactly that this formula is what will leave lead you to longevity and to a livelihood and to a prosperous you yeah. know formula of life um so in the course tell us first tell us who's who's perfect for a course like this um, service-based entrepreneurs who have creative businesses. And so I like to define creative for people and remind people that creative isn't just, um, I'm an artist or a graphic designer or something like that. This is for anybody who is creating something in the world, doing something different in their industry, and they're ready, they see their next level that they're not quite sure how to get there. They know they want to charge the prices, but it feels kind of like a mystery. I like I felt like that when I had a five-figure business and I was like, how do people get to six figures? And nobody would ever tell me <laughs> and I had to figure it out. So I want to kind of clear up some of that mystery for people. So it's really for service-based entrepreneurs who offer an in-person service and are ready to raise the prices for those services, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or a group program or a mastermind or anything like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you take them through and what's the process? Is it, do they have a little bit of one-on-one -on -one time with you? Is it group coaching? Is it, what's the structure of the online course? It's actually a very easy self-led course. Like you can finish it in two and a half hours and completely change your entire sales process. So I've made it something that's very easily guided. So it's modules and, and workbooks. And of course there's a private Facebook group so that I can go in and get people one-on-one -on -one when they need it so if for example if they're in the module about overcoming objections and they've got an objection that they've never heard before and they want to bring it to me I can help them get past that one-on-one -on -one in the Facebook group so it's actually a self-led course and I've designed it so that it's something that people can finish in just a few hours and just like hit the ground running so if you have got a sales call in the afternoon that you need to go well you can take this course in the morning and completely change everything um, because it's not just about like memorizing this whole map of things there are these little changes that you can make all along the way of your sales process that start to convert things and start to rev that engine and it's a lot of these little details that most people let kind of fall under the radar that are really like roadblocks to people buying from you. So I'm helping you smooth that path and giving you very clear guidance on how to get people from um, actually how to bring in those ideal clients and then how to get them from your inbox to your booked and paid contract section. Right. So it's like developing your client experience from the moment they first, you first pop up on their Facebook through a Facebook ad or something to the moment that they're now referring you. So you kind of do the whole scale. So yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I hear this a lot in sales as a um, reason why they can't commit is typically, and people will say, um, okay, the cost is $5,000, for example. Um, and then one response is always, okay, well, let me talk to my spouse. Can I call oh you God. back? So that's, that's really one of the hardest ones because um, it is very real that you have to, when you are married, you do have to consider another human and the money that you're spending. And if it's $5,000, like that's a huge chunk, like you have to consider that. And part of the problem is if the person on the phone with you isn't the person signing the check, then you're selling to the wrong person. But if, if it's a matter of, you know, you're on the phone with your ideal client and you do need to show them that you're the right fit for them. They're the, if their husband is signing the 
or their partner is signing the check, you can't get on the phone with their partner. That doesn't make sense because they don't really make that decision if you're the right fit. So that's one of the hardest ones. And here's what I see though very often, the, the um, objection of, okay, let me talk to my partner is actually more often than not, I feel like it's actually just a, how can I get off this phone call and in a nice way say no without, without saying- hundred no. percent. Right? I think it's that more than having to ask can I get a finger on the checkbook? You wouldn't have booked the call. You would, they would have not booked the call with you, called you, spent the time, you know, going on your Instagram, spending time on your sales page that I also feel that that is, I, now I'm sure there is some cases where like, yes, I'm ready to commit, but he, my spouse has the credit card. Let me go get it. But, um, but I think it's, I truly think it's like, oh, I need to get off this call or I need to not be committed into that. And I don't yeah. think that's your ideal client then. That's not your ideal client. And it's in, yeah, because I want to acknowledge that you do have to make decisions with your partner. But for the most part, like if you're, if this is for your business, if somebody gets on the phone with you, here's the thing. They already want to buy your service. They know it's right for them. Like your your job on that sales call, and we go through all of this in the in in the sales course. Everything from the inquiry to the response to the sales call to the booking to asking for the sale and overcoming objections. But your main job when you're on that sales call is to is to get out of your own way. Like whoever's on that call yeah. with you, I'm out of their day. Like they want to buy it from you. Don't keep them from doing that. Like don't give them reasons not to. Right, right. Stop t convincing them out of it. <laughs> and um, one thing I also learned in uh, some sales course I took forever ago was that um, when people book calls with you, you never call them. They should always call you. Oh, see, I, I teach the opposite. I oh, never really? So tell me why. Because I never want to book time with somebody and then ha have them have the ability to blow off that time. Like, I, I don't want them to go, oh, I can't do this today. I'll just call her tomorrow or I'll reschedule it. No, I'm calling you. You have reserved my time and you're going to respect it. And if somebody misses a phone call and misses I actually tend not to reschedule them. If, unless they give a good reason, like I was in the hospital, there was an emergency. But if it's like, oh, I just forgot, I do not take that. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's the same reason on the reverse side. So if someone schedules a call with me, I send them, here's my number here. I'm waiting and I get, they get the reminder. If they don't call me and then they email me and say, I forgot. And it's like, you weren't really committed in the first place. So that's okay. See you on the Instagram. But inevitably, like a few months yeah. later, there, there they are again. <laughs> it's kind well, of like circling sales. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and so much of that goes back to like a lot of people won't be your ideal client and you let them go. But a lot of the times if somebody is giving you an objection or not valuing your time, a lot of that comes back to did you demonstrate your value of why they should give you their time and attention and money? Did you demonstrate that? Because if they're telling you an objection, the answer is probably no. It's time to go rework. What's your special sauce? How do you guide them through a sales call and everything like that? Yeah. And I think that's a, a hard mirror to look through sometimes, yeah. you know, where you're like, they didn't hire me. They must not like me. Well, it's not you personally, but going back, cause again, you've put so much time and blood, sweat and tears in developing the sales process. And when they, it doesn't close, you have to actually look at the process, not you specifically. And I think creatives also get in their own way. Like you said, hundred percent. So much of the process is what is your special sauce and how can you leverage that to charge higher prices? But if you don't feel like you're worthy of bragging about yourself or promoting yourself, you're never going to talk about what makes you special or what makes you unique in the industry. And you have to because that's how you charge those higher prices. That's what gives you leverage. I do something that nobody can do and that's why I charge this much money for my packages. Gotcha. Okay. So with that in mind, who is the ideal creative for this course? Um, the ideal creative for this course is somebody who is ready to charge the higher prices that they know they're worth. They're tired of hearing, oh, you're too expensive, or it's not in my budget, or my cousin can do it for free. <laughs> you're so sick of hearing that, and I'm so with you on that. Like, you're tired of getting ghosted. You're tired of being asked to work for exposure. You know your work is worth money, but you can't figure out why it is every time you raise your prices, you hear crickets or you get pushback and then you just kind of back off and go, okay, fine. I'll just charge my old prices. Right. 
you need those clear steps to how to get to that next level. And this is where the course comes in is it gives you those very clear steps. Like this is how you get to that next level and really step into that power that you are ready to like exude for everybody. Love that. You guys hear that? You guys hear that in Facebook? <laughs> I love that. Um, now, before we wrap up really quick, how can we learn more about you? And I know you said the roadmap to the ideal client is only available for a short amount of time. So we're just going to put the link in the Facebook group. So all you ladies over here are going to get access to it. Um, everyone else is just going to have to snooze you lose if you don't get it soon. So how can we reach you? How can we learn more about this course? Tell us all the things. You can definitely, um, you can sign up for my free training series this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm going live every day at 10 a.m. Um, and I'm going to be talking about um, how to be fully booked and fully aligned, how to attract, engage, and convert your ideal client in a, ways that, in a way that feels really good and in alignment with your mission, right? So we're going to be talking about that training every single day. So come sign up for it. We'll put, the, we'll put the link in the group. And when you sign up for the training, you get the link to the ideal client roadmap. And it's got a couple of templates in there that are pretty golden comes to, you know, if people are asking you for your rates and then ghosting you, we can fix that, how you do it. So it's got a pretty valuable template in there, plus a few other goodies. Um, and it'll prep the training this week. So come sign up. Love that. Where do we find that if um, we're not in the Facebook group? <laughs> you can find it at pageray.com backslash training. Love that. And where, where are you on IG? So we can make sure we find you. I am at pageray creative. Love that. I love that. Now, my favorite part is when we get carried away about things that have nothing to do with business. I love, love it. it. Um, and I don't think I haven't thought about when we're going to have another retreat, uh, when this is all over. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I've been talking to lots of people about, like, when can we do another retreat? Um, I had the great pleasure of going with Paige and a couple other uh, fabulous uh, female entrepreneurs out to the Topanga Mountains, having a lovely time, reflecting, learned so much. Um, there drank a lot of wine. There was creepy little doors that led to no place, but it was fun. <laughs> Do you remember those little doors? Scared. It was creepy. Um, but really quick. So tell me what gets you carried away. First off, what are you currently carried away about entertainment wise? Reality TV, books, podcasts. We're not going to any movies or plays. So what's keeping you busy during quarantine? Um, so podcast wise, I'm a huge fan of the Keep It podcast with Ira Madison, Louis Vertel, and um, Aida is their third co-host. And I am just obsessed with this podcast in general. It takes a very sharp and witty look at pop culture at large and how it plays into um, all of the issues that are going on in the world. So highly recommend the Keep It podcast. Um, so that's like, that's the podcast I'm like super into. And then um, I... This is where I get nervous, and so I made notes to make sure, like, <laughs> I didn't forget anything that I get carried away with. I'm watching, you know, like, oh, you know what I've been watching on TV is um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, because I'm such, like, a, like, I love true crime and stuff, so I'll Be Ooh. Gone in the Dark. It's all about Michelle McIntyre and how she, um, the work she did around the Golden State Killer, so. Love that's that. It. Yeah. I love, I'm obsessed with true crime podcasts, any of it. Um, yeah. Love it. There's a new one, a podcast that was recommended to me called the guru, um, Shana recommended it to me, and she's real into, into true crime podcasts. So it's supposed to be really good. It's called The Guru. Quite love Someone it. accidentally dies on a retreat, you know, some kind of sabbatical spiritual retreat. Someone mysteriously goes missing. Ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Um, anything else keeping you busy entertainment-wise? Um, I've been rereading, I've been rereading old books. I think, so I read this thing that's like, if you're rewatching old TV, it's like a comfort thing because if you're, if you're tend to be anxious, like I am, that, um, that it, it gives you comfort to know what's going to happen. So I think with books, I've been rereading the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. Um, yeah, nice. for sure. And Joy, June says, um, watch the new Unsolved Mysteries. I already did. It was a good idea and a bad idea because I did not sleep well. Like, oh, I used to watch it when I was younger too. I don't know how my parents like let me do it. I up. just watched the 13 seconds episode about the hairdresser. I had to turn it off. I don't know how it ends. <laughs> right? Let's get to know how it ends, right? Um, yeah. And the first one about the guy in the roof and they can't figure out how he got off yes. the roof. <laughs> 
we have a theory that like he he was pushed from a helicopter like that's the theory anybody else tell me if you agree because that's my theory. yeah i i can't wrap my head around how that i guess that's why it's unsolved i don't know it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> um okay what are uh my favorite question three things that people obsess about that people get so carried away about that you can't wrap your head around or even stand like for me it's like tomatoes i don't like cruises <laughs> I don't like chocolate. I never got into Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. Couldn't wrap my head around Gilmore Girls. Like, <laughs> no, it's controversial. I love it. I think this is like my favorite question. Okay, first of all, Brad Pitt, people. He's not that great. I am not. That's <laughs> the thing about Brad Pitt. Like, he's mildly good looking, but y'all. No. He's the same in every movie. Like, I, I don't get... I don't get the thing with Brad Pitt and I don't get the thing. So, you know, Jeff, Jeff Coons is an artist and he has those big, yes. I can't stand Jeff Coons. Like I, I think the worst and you're not supposed to have judgments about art. You're supposed to just go, that's not my style and move on. But this is the one artist that I'm like, no, I think he is playing a joke on all of us. And <laughs> that he's like, suckers, you bought it for millions of dollars and all they were were balloon animals. So, um, <sighs> and then my, <laughs> Every time I see Jeff Koons, who, by the way, his studio took a PPP loan, like, mm-mm. Mm. Um, and then, okay, so this one's super controversial. I, I do not mean to, like, make anyone mad, but, like, Disneyland. I, I genuinely don't understand. Like, I get it, but I don't, I, I can't, I don't get it. I'm just not a Disneyland person. Um, I've always just felt like, I, I just kind of feel like it's a lot of people in a, in a crowded space and everybody's like sweating and breathing and, and wearing Mickey ears. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't get Disneyland. I don't get carried away with it. <laughs> okay. You know, I have to say I was not a Disney fan mm -hmm. until I took my two year old. And then I was like, take all my money. Fine. <laughs> take all my money. She's just like, they, they have it worked out quite well too they know <laughs> who their ideal client is very very well um but yeah i'm not like i only go maybe once a year uh it's very strategic when i do go we're in and out in a day we're not hanging out well, i mean i do love a good churro don't get me wrong but um yeah it's it's a lot and it won't be open for a long time so um i get that disney disney's not for everybody totally get that opinion though because I'm not I, you know no judgment no judgments for the people who love Disneyland I just never quite fully like got on the Disney train like I never was able to get into it like not the movies either or just Disneyland the movies like I'm a Beauty and the Beast sort of person I mean you know Bella's always my favorite and Tinkerbell Bella and Tinkerbell like those are my faves um talk about strong smart women who take nobody's shit like love them right um, yeah I know right yeah, I think it's just the actual park that I just couldn't do. So maybe having kids is the magic part of that. Yeah, it's so it's so many germs and gross and things you touch and everything. We ain't going there anytime soon. <laughs> well, I love that. Thank you so much, Paige, for getting carried away with me today. Again, everyone can find her at Paige Ray Creative or pageray.com. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray, founder of The Bra Network. If you are listening and you are a female entrepreneur looking to be lifted and supported in your business endeavors, head over to bra-network.com. We'd love to have you in our community and help push you up. <laughs>